prepare to enter a whole new dimension. It's a view from space with the Spaceman. Only on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm the guy that calls Space. I'd like to first of all say welcome. If you're listening on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto, or if you're at home on your PC or your Mac and you're listening to 640toronto.com and the live streaming audio on your PC or your Mac, I would like to say also this is a live show. This is not a pre-recorded show played back for you on Christmas night. Much too important to give up any kind of time to re-roll on this four-hour weekly show called The View from Space on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. At least that's how I feel about it. So even if it's a holiday, I'm walking through the snow to come in here and deliver four hours of radio. You know, it's really tough for us North Americans to actually imagine Mary, the mother of Christ, and Joseph trudging to Bethlehem in anything but the bleak midwinter surrounded with snow on snow on snow. To us, Christmas and December are inseparable. But for the first three centuries of Christianity, Christmas wasn't in December or on the calendar anywhere. This is the first three centuries of Christianity. And if it was observed at all, the celebration of Christ's birth was usually lumped in with Epiphany, which is January 6th, one of the church's earliest established feasts. Now, some church leaders even opposed the idea of a birth celebration for the Christ baby. Origen. He was around between 185 A.D. and 254 A.D. He preached that it would be wrong, absolutely wrong, to honor Christ in the same way Pharaoh and Herod and Herod were honored. You know, birthdays for pagan gods. But not all of his contemporaries agreed that Christ's birthday shouldn't be celebrated. And, that, and, and some began to speculate on the date. Because, guess what? The actual records of the birth of Christ apparently are long lost. Now, I know just offhand that the Jesuits are the ones who kept all the lineage of the royal families. Meticulously, even the ones that were born out of wedlock, the ones that aren't going to get any of the share, the illegitimate children, were even logged by the Jesuits. They missed nothing. But somehow, some way... The birth records 
of one Jesus Christ apparently are missing. Clement of Alexandria favored May 20th. He thought that would be a very good date. But others argued for April 18th. Some people wanted April 19th in the church and also May 28th. Hippolytus wanted January 2nd. November 17th was also talked about. November 20th, March 25th. All had backwards as, as well for those dates. And a Latin treatise written around the year 243 pegged March 21st because that was believed to be the date on which God created the sun, S-U-N. Polycarp followed the same line of reasoning to conclude that Christ's birth and baptism most likely occurred on Wednesday because the sun, S-U-N, was created on the fourth day. So the eventual choice of December 25th, made as early as 273 A.D., reflects a convergence of Origen's concern about pagan gods and the church's identification of God's son with the celestial son, which is actually what December 25th, the birthday, is actually the birth of the sun. On the 21st, it goes as far away from Earth as it's ever going to go. Then it begins to come back, to give us spring again, slowly, as the days begin to get longer. So, December 25th is actually the sun's birthday. And it's already got a couple of other related festivals uh, connected with it. Natilis Solis Invicti, the Roman birth of the unconquered sun, is on the 25th. And the birthday of Mithras, the Iranian son of righteousness, that's S-U-N. Okay. And that's who, by the way, the Roman soldiers worshipped. The winter solstice, another celebration of the sun, S-U-N, fell on December 21st, of course, and there were a lot of pagans. So, the church leaders decided to commandeer the date and introduce a brand new festival called Christmas, the birth of Christ, December 25th, which is so absolutely and totally false. Tonight, on A View from Space, the objective of this show is to demonstrate that Christ was actually born in 3 B.C. rather than the commonly accepted years of anywhere from 4 to 7 B.C. and I will name a date, which is already in your mind. Believe me. That's all when I get back. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. This is a view from space. Tonight, on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto, on a view from space, you will understand why Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem during a Roman census. And you'll learn the identity of the star associated with the Magi, who were astrologers and astronomers of the day, the best ones. And more than this, I'll put forth evidence that will point to the exact date of Christ's birth and the exact date of the Magi's visit. 
And the results of this research that I've done will not alter in any way, by the way, the chronology of the life of Christ as taught in the church. They settled eventually on today, December 25th, maybe as early as 273 A.D. It's a convergence, as usual, with Oregon's concern about pagan gods and the church's identification of God's son with the celestial son. And I've made this remark before on A View from Space on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto, that the Roman Catholic Church is actually sun-worshipping in disguise. Western Christians first celebrated Christmas, December 25th, in 336 A.D., after Emperor Constantine declared Christianity the empire's favorite religion. But Eastern churches still held it on January 6th. That was their date for Christ's birth and his baptism. Most Easterners eventually adopted 25th of December and celebrated Christ's birth then on the earlier date and his baptism on January 6th. But the Armenian church still celebrates January 6th as the birthday. The Western church celebrates Epiphany on January 6th. But as the arrival date of the Magi, rather than Christ's baptism. And another wrinkle is thrown in. Isn't this just fascinating? In the 6th century, Pope Gregory devises a new calendar, which was adopted in some places and not in others. More confusion. Remember, the actual records of Christ's birth are apparently long lost. Now we're doing the time juggling for you. Seems to me they want to hide something. Just might be. The Eastern Orthodox and some Protestants kept their Julian calendar, which meant they celebrated Christmas 13 days later than their Gregorian guy counterpart. Most of them, but not all of the Christian world, now agrees on the Gregorian calendar and the December 25th date. In other words... Freemasonry has successfully maneuvered the pagan holiday to take the place of a real date of the birth of Christ. A lot of your Christmas customs have pagan origins. From the gift-giving and merry-making from the Roman Saturnalia, the greenery, the lights, and charity from the Roman New Year, Yule logs and, and different foods for Teutonic feasts? They always start arguments against this holiday. The tree is also an ancient pagan tradition. But people now actually act like it's always been done since the birth of Christ. But it was, fa in fact, done long before then in ancient Egypt. It goes back a long, long way. The bottom line in this is that Freemasonry 
along with the church, are hiding some of the most important events and covering up the most important dates and overlapping them with their pagan celebrations so that each and every single religious festival overlaps a pagan festival. Getting the world set for a one world religion. What was it they were going to put on a stamp? Chris Kwan Hanu Ramadan which had all of the winter festivals jammed into one title. Had Kwanzaa from the African nation celebrations, Hanukkah, Ramadan, and Christmas. We know that Christ was about 30 years of age when John the Baptist began his ministry and the commencement of which happened to be the 15th year of Caesar Tiberius's reign. And the impression of Scripture that you find in Luke is that Jesus began his ministry some six months after John began his. I also remember the fact that John was six months older than Jesus. If early 4 or 5 B.C. is taken as the birth of Christ, then he would have had to have been about 33 years old by 29 A.D. or 32 by 28 A.D. And people who know and have researched the true date of the birth of Christ say it's just a pagan holiday wrapped in a Christian bow. Kowtowing to worldliness has always been the way Freemasonry has attacked Christians. But the church itself has generally viewed efforts to reshape culture, including holidays, positively. Because I believe they are Masonically controlled. As one of the theologians put it in 320, A.D. We hold this day holy, not like the pagans because the birth of the sun is celebrated then, but because of him who made it. But it still overlaps, and they're happy about that. Yes, the date of Christ's actual birth is already in your mind. You already know the date. Everyone knows it, but no one suspects it. So, based on every Roman record in the first century that's available, historical writings, coins, inscriptions, stuff like that, Tiberius's first year begins on August 19, 14 A.D. And Luke used the normal Roman system of reckoning that would have been familiar to a nobleman like Theophilus, making his 15th year, August 
of 28 AD to August of 29 AD. The reign of Tiberius began August 19, 14 AD. It was a well-known date in the time of Luke, just as the reign of Queen Victoria in our day. And that no single case has ever been or can be produced in which the years of Tiberius were reckoned in any other way. So, Tiberius, we have nailed down to beginning August 19th, 14 AD. A good place to start. I'm the Spaceman. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Revealing tonight, the true recalculated birth of Christ. Every day at noon, Bill Waters and Jeff Merrick get together to talk Toronto Maple Leafs hockey. Here's a little something from the last show. But Susie's lawyer, who uh, was interviewing or speaking with the ambulance driver, as Steve Morris being ushered uh, to the hospital, Morris' comments was, I told the coach not to play me anymore. They've had four or five runs at me already. I asked them not to put me on the ice. Now, you think if somebody went to Tony Granato and said, Tony, if you put Steve back on the ice, somebody's going to attack him and he's going to get his neck broken. Tony Granato would have probably said... You know what? Go get your stuff off, son. And uh, you put in a good effort tonight, yeah. and we're not going to put you in that position. But you don't think that. I don't for one second believe that there's a penalty stiff enough out there that's going to prevent this thing from ever happening again. Because mm-hmm. it's a it's an instant thing. We snap. Leafs Lunch, the lockout edition, with Bill Waters and Jeff Merrick. Weekdays at noon on the home of the Leafs, the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Everyone at Northwood Mortgage wishes you and yours the best of the season. We're working harder for you. Roy. Nancy. Things are cooling off. Ooh, I'll lower the air conditioner. I meant between us. Trojan Man. Why are you here? Time to warm things up, Roy. Really? This new Trojan Shared Pleasure condom has warm sensations lubricant. Moisture activated, it creates a warming sensation both can share. Well, light my fire. I'm up for this. You certainly are. Only from Canada's number one condom, Trojan Warm Sensations. The pleasure you want, the protection you trust. My job is done here. Help stock the Daily Bread Food Bank this holiday season. Make a donation to the 640 Toronto Winter Harvest Food Drive online at 640toronto.com. Drop off your non-perishable foods at any Toronto area fire hall. The 640 Toronto Winter Harvest Food Drive for Daily Bread from 640 Toronto. Hello? Oh, hey, honey. How y'all doing? Ted? Yeah, honey, it's me. Uh, Ted, why are you talking with a southern girl? I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I ain't. Yeah, you are. Hey, you know what? Dang, I think I am. Okay, Ted, why are you talking like that? Well, I don't really know. Hey, look, hon, I'll be home soon if I avoid them speed traps. You're an idiot. The Dukes of Hazard are here. We're excited, too. Weeknights at 10 on CMT. I'm just like you. I have a job that I like most of the time. I have family that drives me crazy. And I like, I like going to movies. So we have a lot in common. We could even be friends to give them a chance. Except for one thing. You might not want to be my friend because of the way I look. Right now, I'm on the radio. And you don't know if I'm tall, short, white, Asian, African. You don't know my religion or even if I have one. And you don't know how long I've lived in Canada. Some people look at me and think I wasn't born here. There's one thing I want you to know about me. I am proud to be a Canadian. 
I live in Canada because it's the greatest country in the world. I'm a good Canadian, and I work hard to make a good life for my family. And I think that's more important than what I look like, don't you? Just a thought. From your friends at the New Mojo Radio, your news, your views, your city. 640 Toronto. The New Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. It's a view from space. Live tonight. Christmas night. Or is it? December 25th? The birth of Christ? Tonight, I recalculate it and point to another date that you also know. That's coming up on the New Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. The New Mojo Radio. This is 640 Toronto. From the 24-hour news center, here's what Toronto is talking about. Thousands of Torontonians celebrate Christmas while a woman is lucky to be alive following a crash on a 401 Christmas morning. It's minus 9 degrees at 9.31. Good evening and Merry Christmas. I'm Adidas Adansovich. Well, thousands of Torontonians spending Christmas Day attending religious services across the GTA. Worshippers also flocking the Manger Square in Bethlehem and St. Peter's Square in the Vatican to hear Christmas messages. The Pope expressed hopes for peace despite continued worries over Iraq and the Holy Land. The Queen used the holiday to appeal for religious and cultural tolerance, and our Prime Minister said Canadians should be proud of their accomplishments this year. We went out to the corner of Young and Dundas to ask you, any Christmas messages for Toronto? Well, I'm not very religious, so that part applies to me less, but nonetheless, I think it's a wonderful time. I like to spend it with my family and, you know, just share the good vibes, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. So, uh, everybody be nice to each other. Merry Christmas, Toronto. To have your say on this or any other issue, call 640 Toronto Feedback at 416-870-1111 or visit our message boards at 640toronto.com. Well, many of us spent the night stuffing ourselves with a traditional Christmas turkey dinner. And if you're trying to think of a way to work off some of those calories, 640 Toronto Steve Dankoff has a few ideas. Pretty much all retail shut down around Toronto today, unless you want to count gas stations and 7-Elevens. But all hope's not lost. And here's a couple of suggestions. Taking a movie. It's cold out today, so a flick's always a welcome option. Most of the big movie plexes are open today. If you don't mind the cold, though, how about the winteriest activity of all? You can lace them up and go for a skate at Nathan Phillips. And, of course, you got to eat. Most eateries will be closed around Toronto today, but Chinatown won't let you down. There are a number of restaurants open in that area. But considering you'll be fighting the crowds for tomorrow's Boxing Day, you may just want to stay home and get some rest. Steve Dankoff, 640 Toronto News. Well, Christmas Day proving to be quite treacherous on our roads. Toronto recording its 63rd tra- traffic fatality of the year. A 21-year-old man is dead after the car. He was the passenger inside Cologne with a cab on Bathurst last night at around 11 p.m. A 24-year-old man has been charged with careless driving in that one. And a 29-year-old woman is spending Christmas Day recovering from her injuries at Sunnybrook after a collision late last night on the eastbound 401 near Keel. A portion of the highway was shut down for over four hours Christmas this morning after her car was struck by another car, sending it careening into a tractor trailer. Police say speed and alcohol may have been a factor. It's minus 8 degrees at 9.33. Canada's Junior is giving hockey fans the best Christmas present of all, a live hockey game. 640 Toronto Sports and others still to come. This is Hayden Bradshaw, publisher and editor of Enterprise Magazine, and I want to help grow your business. Tune in on Saturdays at 9 a.m. to the Enterprise Hour with your host, Martin Wales. Each week, we'll have ideas and suggestions from special guests to help make your business run better. Plus, you can call in with your comments and questions. That's the Enterprise Hour this Saturday at 9 a.m. on 640 Toronto, brought to you by TD Canada Trust. Don't miss it. 
you have an appointment on Monday with Destination G&G Electronics. It's G&G's Boxing Week blowout, and if Sony makes it, this sale includes it. Did you get the Sony TV you wanted yet? G&G will blow you away with a Sony Grand Vega, the giant TV that takes less space. Or how about that Sony Cybershot digital camera or home theater system? G&G will not let you walk away disappointed. That's a promise. The G&G Boxing Week sale starts Monday. Kingston Road at Morningside. Online at gglectronics.com. 640 Toronto Sports, it was the present most hockey fans were dying for a live hockey game, and Canada's juniors hockey team uh, providing it, playing their first game at the World Junior Hockey Championships from Grand Forks, North Dakota, with the details, 640 Toronto's Kelly Moore. The dynamic duo of Providence Bruins center Patrice Bergeron and Romuski Oceanic forward Sidney Crosby continued to terrorize the opposition. Each scored twice to stake Canada to a 4-0 lead midway through the game. The Slovaks did forge a bit of a comeback and had a chance to make it a one-goal game with a 78-second, five-on-three advantage with about five minutes to go, but Canada's penalty killer snuffed out the opportunity. Medicine Abs Clark MacArthur also scored twice, including a penalty shot goal with seven seconds to play, and Jeff Carter of the Sioux Greyhounds had the other goal for Canada. Canada's next action is Monday when they play Sweden, who finished seventh a year ago, but are expected to improve on that showing this time around. In Grand Force, North Dakota, Kelly Moore for the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. And the final in that one, 7-3 in favor of our Canucks. Uh, one other final, actually, one other final to tell you about the World Juniors. That one is the Czech squad shellacking Belarus 7-2. to uh, Two other games going on right now. That includes Russia and the uh, defending champions, the U.S. I know the two teams are tied at three in the first. Germany and Finland are in the first as well. Uh, the score right now one to nothing in favor of the Finns. Shaquille O'Neal was home for the holidays this afternoon and won a homecoming for the Miami Heat Center in L.A. Since leaving this one, folks going in overtime. And Shaq actually fouled out uh, in the fourth. So it was Dwayne Wade who led the Heat past Kobe, who had 42 points, by the way, to give them the 104-102 victory. Earlier in the afternoon, fans were given another treat. Uh, peace prevailing, spirit of the holidays and all. Uh, so did the Pistons. The final score between the Pistons and Indiana after meeting since uh, that, uh, we, that brawl five weeks ago, uh, 98-93 in favor of Detroit. In the NFL, a pair of games on the sked, including a meaningless matchup this afternoon. It was still a close one, though. KC edging out the Raiders by one, 31-30 at the final. And right now, the Broncos taking on the Titans. Uh, right now, Denver leading that one 17-10 in the second. 642 Toronto weather tonight. Cloudy chance of flurries overnight. A little minus 10. The floor is continuing for Boxing Day. Should end though by the evening, then just cloudy skies. A high minus 4. It's minus 8 degrees at the corner of Young and Dundas at 936. I'm Adidas with the stories behind Toronto's headlines every 30 minutes and breaking news when it happens. The doors are closed. The NHL shutdown is on. From your hockey lockout information station, 640 Toronto, here's the very latest. There are many things about this lockout that are difficult to understand. Things like how two sides can't agree on how to share $2 billion. Or how both are prepared to see the season end while telling us they feel sorry for fans. Here's another. Leaf player rep Brian McCabe questioned the need for the January Board of Governors meeting. Gary Bettman's been poised to throw away this season for the past five years, said McCabe. And you know what? He's right. So here's what is difficult to understand. If the players and their union leadership were aware of that for the number of years, why, despite numerous requests from the NHL, did they refuse to negotiate, knowing the NHL felt it was in a heap of financial trouble? I'm Dennis Fayette. Now you're caught up. We have updates running five times daily and breaking news when it happens. 
Check in regularly and listen to our daily lockout show, No Hockey, Monday to Friday at 8 p.m. We are your lockout information station, the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. The opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect those of the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Everything you hear is true. Everything you believe is accurate. What you see is what you should believe. Really. This is A View from Space with Gary Bell, only on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm Space, it's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Live show, Christmas night tonight. Tracking down the actual date of the birth of Christ. No way in the world that was December 25th. There's just no way. That was the birth of the sun, S-U-N, in ancient pagan times and their belief system. On tonight's A View from Space on 640 Toronto, the exact date of Christ's birth will be revealed and the exact date of the Magi's visit will be revealed along with the evidence on why I believe that. What are the main extra-biblical sources for this research is the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, who lived from 37 A.D. to about 105. Now, we've pegged Tiberius' reign to beginning on August 19, 14 A.D., And historians also validate this, by the way. Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny the Elder, Dion Cassius, Philo, and the man I just told you about, Josephus. In the 15th year of Tiberius' reign, August of 28 A.D. to August of 29 A.D., John the Baptist began his public ministry. That was the summer of 29 A.D., at the time, Jesus was about 30 years old, which would be absolutely true, precisely true, if Jesus were born in the year 3 B.C. If he was born in 5 or 4 B.C., then he would have been anywhere from 31 to 33 years of age. And the census of Caesar Augustus during the time when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, the province included Judea, by the way, at that time, which was the kingdom of Herod the Great in 3 B.C. to 2 B.C. It backs up the 3 or 2 B.C. for Christ's birth. Because remember, Herod heard that a king was being born and slayed all the children three or under. What a few days that must have been to have a three-year-old in your household. So this census of Caesar Augustus was one of two registrations of people during a time when Serenius was governor of Syria. And this guy, Serenius, was not an ordinary governor. He was a Roman procurator who had powers directly from Augustus. This meant 
by today's standards, he was like a, a powerful man Friday. Roman records show each province had its equestrian procurator, who in the eyes of the people was almost as important as the governor himself. And these procurators were appointed by the emperor independently of the governor, and the relationship between those two were never very friendly. The resident governor at the time was Sentius Saturnius, and you would know that this word Saturn was going to creep into it. Another name for Satan. He was the resident governor at the time, and this is in fact, confirmed by Tertullian, a lawyer by profession and a Christian apologist who lived in the late second century. He says, there is historical proof that at this very time census was taken in Judea by Satanius Saturinus, respecting the family and the descent of Christ. And he dated that census taken at the time of Christ's birth as 3 to 2 B.C. Because the year is about to change. That's why this birth is always 3 to 2 B.C. The year is changing. And the census, that registration of the people living in those areas of 3 to 2 B.C. is mentioned only by Luke and Tertullian. Augustus wrote an account of the major events of his life. He wrote an official census of 28 B.C., 8 B.C., and 14 A.D., but nothing in the year that we're talking about, 3 to 2 B.C. Yet Luke said the whole Roman world was involved. Smell the cover-up? Again? Hiding the truth began way back then. First of all, the original birth certificates of the Christ are long lost. Second, they start to move around the dates. And now third, we notice that Augustus wrote an account of his major events in his life and left out the year of 3 to 2 B.C. The very year under the microscope tonight on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. It's a view from space. I'm space back with more in a moment. We're Toronto. Spaceman. Live tonight on Christmas night on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. So did you pick up on it? Augustus writes an account of the major events in his life and leaves out... 2 to 3 B.C. that year. He wrote official uh, censuses in 28 B.C., 8 B.C., and 14 A.D., but nothing about the year we're talking about. Yet Luke said the whole Roman world was involved. And the year 2 B.C. was one of the most important in the career of Augustus. How could he have not written about it? First of all, he turned 60, Second, it was the silver jubilee of his the silver jubilee of his rule, 
which began in 27 B.C., and it also was the 750th anniversary of the founding of Rome. And this guy writes nothing about this year? I smell a cover-up. February 5th, 2 B.C., the year in question. The Senate and the people of Rome award Augustus the highest of all decorations, father of the country. And this is not a big year for Augustus. There was no year like it for celebrations in Rome. And the festivities and the celebrations were held all over the empire in its entirety, every single province. And Augustus knew beforehand of the special honor. And he even issued an edict calling for fresh registration of all who lived in the great Roman Empire. The purpose of the registration, of course, is to have everybody swear an oath of allegiance to Caesar Augustus in his jubilee year. Josephus, the Jewish historian I told you about that I've got some of the facts from, mentioned that an oath of allegiance was demanded by Augustus about 12 or 15 months before the death of Herod. Now, there was a certain sect of Jews who valued themselves highly for their exact knowledge of the law and always talked about being in contact with God and were well-liked by the men of Herod's court. They were called the Pharisees. They're men who had it in their power to control kings extremely subtle and ready to attempt anything against anybody they didn't like. When the whole Jewish nation took an oath to be faithful to Caesar and the interests of that king, these men, to the number of above 6,000, refused to swear. The king laid a fine on them. Ferroris, wife, Herod's sister-in-law, paid the money for them. They, in return for her kindness, remember the woman believed their contact with God, they said they had the gift of prophecy and prophesied that God said he was going to put an end to the government of Herod and his race and the kingdom would be transferred to her and her children. Salome, Herod's sister, who was aware of all that was being said, came and told the king about them. She also told him that many members of Herod's court were corrupted by them. So the king put to death the most guilty of the Pharisees. And Begoas, the Enoch, and the one called Perus, the most beautiful young man about the court, and the closest lover in the king's guilty pleasures. Herod killed everyone in his own family who believed those things which were said by the Pharisees, but 
Bagoas. The eunuch, convinced, was told that he would someday be called father and benefactor of the new king who was to be appointed according to their prediction. And this king would have all the things in his power and that he, the king, would give Bagoas the capacity of marriage and of having children of his own, which he wanted desperately to have. What an incredible, strange happening in the court of Herod at this particular time, 2 B.C. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. As a view from space gets into the actual date of Christ's birth, not December 25th. We're walking down that road now. Come along. Since most people in Judea and the Empire were not Roman citizens, Augustus decreed in 3 B.C., that everybody should swear an oath of absolute obedience to him and to accompany his award as being father of the country. Pictures of Augustus were placed in every church that year. Here's proof. comes from the history of the Armenians. The Armenian historian Moses of Korin said that the native sources he had available showed that in the second year of Abgar, king of Armenia, 3 B.C., the census brought Roman agents to Armenia bringing the image of Augustus Caesar, which they set up in every temple. An historian named Orosius, who lived in the 5th century, wrote, Augustus ordered that a census be taken of each province everywhere and all men be enrolled. This is the earliest and the most famous public acknowledgement, which marked Caesar as the first of all men and the Romans as the lords of the world, a published list of all men entered individually. This first and greatest census was taken, since in this one name of Caesar all the peoples of the great nations took oath, and at the same time, through the participation in the census, were made a part of one society a one world government at the time he also identified the year as 3 BC it's the new mojo radio 640 Toronto come on with me it's the spaceman getting to the bottom of the real birth date of Christ. Not the sun worshiper. Sun. Try to recalculate the birth of Christ on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. This is the view from space live tonight on Christmas evening emitting from the very full powerful corner of Young and Dundas downtown Toronto you know in Roman times the festival of Saturnalia 
Of course, I told you Saturn would creep into this. Another name for Satan. It was called the Festival of Saturnalia, December 21st, December 22nd, marking the winter solstice, the sun's entrance into the zodiacal sign of Capricorn, the goat, of course, the goat. Another symbol of the satanic power. And for almost three days, and Saturnalia, the festival of Saturnalia, everything was reversed, just like in the satanic world where everything is the mirror of the real world. So imagine this. Everything reversed for three days. Masters served the slave. Yeah. The rich guy waited on his slaves. Criminals were not punished. In ancient Roman times, during the festival of Saturnalia, and people exchanged gifts. This celebration turned into the Christian Christmas. Could you imagine criminals not punished? When the Roman way to make sure you obeyed the laws of the Roman cities that they had already conquered, going into the walled city, like the 400 or the 401, would be lined with crucifixes with guys hanging on them. They broke the law. would be their signs on top of them, marking their crimes. So you'd be walking into this walled city going, don't think I'll be breaking any laws anytime soon walking into this place. They were lined up on the road into the city just to make sure you tread the straight and narrow. But everything went crazy during the festival of Saturnalia for three days. So back to the census of Caesar Augustus. In his 60th year of living, it's just unbelievable that he would actually leave out this year that we're talking about tonight, 3 or 2 B.C., right on the cusp of going into 2 B.C. You see, Augustus really had a lot going for him then. It was also a silver jubilee of his rule, and it was also the 750th anniversary of the founding of Rome. So you can imagine that would have been an incredible celebration year for him. But do you think he wrote about it? Not one word. Nothing about this year that we're talking about was written by Augustus. That is the beginning of the real truth being hidden. And also, everywhere that Rome was in power, which was everywhere in the world at this point, we have Augustus's picture showing up in every small town and every city to be hung in every single temple, calling himself God.
And the fact that the oath and the census should go together should be no strange thing because most Roman censuses require an oath of allegiance to the emperor. And the Romans also made them swear they were going to hold back no taxes owed to Rome. And if you held back taxes, it was death. So it seems highly probable that every person in the empire registered an oath of obedience and an approval of the father of the country title to Augustus at this time. And that Quirinius had been sent to the east to conduct it. Sort of like the Ukrainian election with John Turner over there making sure everything goes right. Yeah, right. A period of about a year was allowed for the complete enrollment. The beginning of the registration in 3 B.C. and plenty of time for the celebrations in 2 B.C. when the title became official as father of the country. That the registration was not for the purpose of taxation is seen by the fact that as long as King Herod was alive, no taxes were ever paid to Rome. They were paid directly to Herod. Immediately upon Herod's death, the Jews asked Archelaus, Herod's successor, to relieve them of excessive taxes. And from 63 B.C. to 47 B.C., Judea was part of the province of Syria and paid tribute directly to Rome. From 47 B.C. to 40 B.C., Hyrcanus was the ruler of the Free Republic. But the Jews still paid taxes to Rome. When Herod became king, their tribute to Rome stopped, and Herod collected all the taxes. This went on until the cusp of 6 to the year 7 A.D., when direct taxation was imposed again on Judea. Official censuses involving taxation happened every 20 years in 28 B.C. and in 8 B.C. And remember, Augustus wrote about those two years. But the next official census was in 14 A.D., which was 21 years after 8 B.C., and not 20 as you would expect. Could it be that 2 B.C. was dropped out of the yearly taxation and celebration of the Silver Jubilee of Augustus? See, the year 2 B.C., was reckoned so glorious a new beginning for Augustus and Rome that the imperial taxation and evaluation ceased during that year if people would give their oath of allegiance to Augustus as their universal lord, their god. And this could easily be the case and explain the one-year discrepancy. By the way, every five years... There was a registration which updated individual Roman citizenship, and these archives were kept in their own native cities or other important Roman centers throughout the empire. The oath of loyalty issued by Augustus in 3 B.C. brought Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to their native city of Bethlehem. Mary normally would have not needed to go with Joseph, 
But since both of them claimed royal blood, both had to appear in person and sign the document. Royalty, all royal claimants, would have especially been singled out to take this oath. Luke in the Bible tells that the reason why both Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem was because he reckoned as belonging to the house of David, and of course, so was Mary. The census of 3 B.C. is the only census after the 1 in 8 B.C., and most would consider 8 B.C. as too late for the birth of Christ. The major obstacle against a 3 on the cusp of 2 B.C. birth date for Christ is that long-accepted 4 B.C. date for the death of Herod. Herod died after the birth of Christ. And historian of the times, Josephus, makes mention of a lunar eclipse which took place just before the king died, King Herod. And just before a springtime celebration of Passover in March of 4 B.C., there was a partial eclipse. There were four lunar eclipses that were observable over Palestine in the period from 7 to 1 B.C. There was a total eclipse March 23rd, 5 B.C., September 15th, 5 B.C., another total eclipse. March 13th, 4 B.C., a partial eclipse. January 10, 1 B.C., a total eclipse. For the other years in the time frame, there were no lunar eclipses observable over Palestine. The main reason these historians have accepted the March 13th, 4 B.C. eclipse as the one associated with Herod's death is due to two things. First, Josephus, the historian, said Herod had a reign of 37 years from the time he was proclaimed king by the Romans and 34 years from his capture of Jerusalem. And this would actually date Herod's death as 3 B.C. But there were no eclipses of the moon in that year. So it's assumed that Josephus reckoned parts of one year as a whole. And scholars, to accommodate the eclipse of 4 B.C., have been willing to count the two or three days of Nisan, the Jewish month, in 4 B.C. as a whole year. And the second reason for placing Herod's death in 4 B.C. is because the coins minted by Herod's three successors have their dates beginning in 4 B.C. I've got more. It's a spaceman on a view from space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto, tracking down the real birth date of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm Space, welcoming you. You're listening on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto, or you're at home listening online at 640toronto.com and the streaming audio. This is a live show tonight, Christmas night. And I'm going through some of the facts and research put together to try and trace the actual date of Christ's birth. It certainly isn't December 25th. That's the pagan birth of the sun, S-U-N. 
which, by the way, all of your world leaders are sun-worshipping Satanists. I mean, if you've listened to a view from space, I've laid out for you every important event that always falls on a witch's sabbat. You can't deny that fact. And all their numbers are constantly there. There are three sciences. Astrology. Sacred geometry. Numerology. Are what's used to run our world. We're on a schedule. And the pertinent facts are hidden. That's why there are shows like A View from Space on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. The year 3 on the cusp of 2 BC had unusual astronomical activity. And by the way, most early Christian historians and chronologers who lived from the second century onward put the birth of Christ after the eclipse of 4 BC. And we were told by Dionysus that Christ's birth was in 1 BC. He was responsible for establishing the common era that the majority of the world accepts. So the year 1997, Anno Domini, the year of the Lord is reckoned from the birth of Christ, which he places at December 25, 1 B.C. With a civil reckoning of our era at seven days later, with January 1st. Most of the early Christian writers, no doubt acquainted with the writings of Josephus, regard the period 3 to 2 B.C. as the time of the nativity, the birth of Christ, beginning with August 3 B.C. and ending December 2 B.C., born somewhere in that area between August of 3 B.C. and December of 2 B.C. And a few signs in the sky got people very excited. Beginning with August 1st, 3 B.C., the planet Jupiter became visible above the eastern horizon as a morning star. Twelve days later, a little before 4 a.m., Jupiter would have been close in conjunction with Venus, already a morning star for six months, and the space between them was just about 0 .08 degrees. Though the planets did not appear to touch one another, it was a very rare phenomenon. Five days later, Mercury emerges from the sun, also to become a morning star. While this was happening, Venus left its previous conjunction with Jupiter and headed toward Mercury. On the morning of September 1st, Venus and Mercury came into conjunction about 0.35 degrees from each other. And you've got to keep in mind now that these planetary motions and relationships are the apparent ones viewed by the observers on Earth. After the September 1st meeting with Mercury and Venus, she moved back 
into the light of the sun, emerging in the west as an evening star about 20th of December, 3 BC. And when this happened, an observer would have witnessed the planet just after sunset moving progressively higher in the sky, going more easterly with each day that passes. This movement placed Venus on a collision course with Jupiter, which was moving westward. Bright lights in the sky. At the period when Venus had just passed its easternmost elongation from the sun, that's the farthest east of the sun that Venus ever reaches, on June 17, 2 BC, the two planets collide. Well, to speak. They were 0 0.04 degrees away from each other, almost on top of one another. This is a totally uncommon occurrence. And to someone on Earth, the light that each planet displayed made them look like one gigantic star. It was as if Venus had stretched herself as far eastward as she was able in order to join with Jupiter as he reached westward to meet her. This conjunction occurred at the exact time of the full moon. The whole of the evening sky was being lit by the light of the full moon from the east. In the west was Jupiter and Venus on top of each other. Talk about your celestial events. It's the Spaceman on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto, a V from Space, coming back with more in just a few minutes. He's the man they call space, and there's a really good reason. Get ready to find out things you never knew and be amazed by what you should know. It's a view from space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Nice. From Dundas and Young Street, downtown Toronto. Taking you back to 2 on the cusp of 3 BC over Bethlehem. As we see on June 17th of 2 BC, two planets colliding. And when I say colliding, I merely mean that they track exactly over top of one another so that each planet, with the light they display, make them look like one gigantic star. Venus stretching herself as far eastward as she is enabled to do in order to join up with Jupiter as he reached westward to meet her. This conjunction occurred at the exact same time as a full moon over Palestine. The whole evening sky was lit by the light of the full moon from the east and in the west the brightest stars in the skies Jupiter and Venus on top of one another one male one Venus the god of love a senior research astronomer at Princeton University Professor Morton said this conjunction of 17th of June, 2 B.C., 
was as a remarkable astronomical event as they had ever seen. This kind of closeness wasn't witnessed in generations. This conjunction, a brilliant double star, gives the appearance of fusing together into a single star two planets that drew nearer and nearer the western horizon. Only the sharpest of eyes would have been able to split the two stars, and the twinkling caused by that unsteady horizon atmosphere would have blended them into one big star for everyone watching. What an awe-inspiring and rare event it must have been, the fusion of these two planets. Here were the two brightest in the skies merging together. And this was happening at the time when Venus was approaching her time of her greatest brilliance. And that's only half the picture. When Jupiter was on its westward journey to link up with Venus for that spectacular June 17th, 2 BC reunion, Jupiter was showing some displays of its own. Just 33 days after the first Jupiter-Venus conjunction, August 12th, 3 BC, an observer would have seen Jupiter come into juxtaposition with Regulus, the principal star in the constellation of Leo, a star of the first magnitude. The conjunction occurred on September 14th, 3 B.C. And viewed from the Earth, the two celestial bodies were 0.67 degrees apart, almost on top of each other. After that, Jupiter proceeds on its normal course through the heavens, and on December 1st, 3 B.C., the planet stopped in its motion through the fixed stars to start its annual retrogression. And it headed, once again, toward the star Regulus. Then on February 17th, 2 B.C., the two were reunited at just 1.19 degrees apart. Jupiter was again side by side with the star, the two bodies being 1.06 degrees from each other. For Jupiter to unite with Regulus three times in one year isn't common. It occurred 12 years earlier, in 15 to 14 B.C., and before that in 86 and 85 B.C., and it wasn't to recur until 69 on the cusp of 70 A.D. After this third conjunction with Regulus, Jupiter continued moving west for 40 days to reunite with Venus in the rare conjunction of June 17th to B.C. This is not all. On August 27th to B.C., the planet Mars starts to figure into the play. It catches up with Jupiter, forms a very close union. Mars travels faster in its motion through the stars than Jupiter and overtakes it in a little more than a couple of years. And at this point, 
The two were only .09 degrees from each other. This is not an ordinary occurrence. Besides this, there was also a convergence of Venus and Mercury into the same part of the sky as Jupiter and Mars. This means that the four major planets were all positioned around each other in a very exceptionally close way. Planets in such a close assemblage is called a massing of planets in astrological circles. And look at the close association they had with each other. Longitude of Jupiter, 142.6 degrees. Mars, 142.64. Venus, 141.67. Mercury, 143.71. This has been very interesting to, to watch. It's the Spaceman on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto and a view from space tracking down the actual birth date of Christ got it down to a year 3 on the cusp of 2 BC an extraordinary year for visible astronomical exhibitions and there were no year that would even come close to it for years on either side of that year the year 3 on the cusp of 2 B.C. stands out as the period of exceptional signs in the heavens to herald Christ's birth. I have identified the star of Bethlehem. Four planets. Jupiter. Mars. Venus. Mercury all in the massing of the planets close assembly of one another and who were the magi they came from the court of the Parthian kings bearing expensive gifts for a newborn king they were originally one of the six tribes of the Medes They were a priestly caste, sort of like the Levites to the Jews. In their early history, their occupation was to provide the kings of the Medes and the Persians, also the Babylonians, with divine information about daily affairs. And because of the high religious esteem accorded these magi, by the people of the East, they were able in the 6th century B.C. to overturn royal powers. Their role in interpreting divine matters is also mentioned in the Bible. As Daniel, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, became the chief of the magicians, master of the magi, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. Daniel's influence over the magi in the East must explain why they were looking for astronomical confirmation to go along with the prophecies that called for this Jewish king to be born in those days. I'm coming back with more as we trace the exact date of Christ's birth on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. 
on a view from space. Thank you, by the way, for the email. You can email me at spaceman at 640toronto.com or just simply space at 640toronto.com. This is the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. You're listening to A View from Space. Stan gets it right. Well, according to my facts also, and according to Stan's fact, who has emailed me some pretty neat information. Thanks a lot for that, Stan. And you're bang on the money. Taking your telephone calls, although... I'm not sure what you would ask at 416-870-6400 or star 640, but maybe you do have a question. Or maybe you refute something that I have said. Otherwise, just let me continue. So, the Magi were people who could sway kings men who could tell the future read the stars they weren't charlatans or sorcerers they didn't prey on people because Herod in Jerusalem would have hardly been troubled by these people. They feared them. And the Romans, they were also aware of prophecy. A, a firm belief was held throughout the East that it was destined for the empire in the world at that time to be given to someone who should come out from Judea. The majority of the Jewish people were very impressed with the belief that it was contained in ancient writings of the priests that would come out to that would come to pass at that time. The East would renew its strength, and they would be the ones the chosen one should come out of to rule the world. Even Nero was advised by court astrologers that it was smart, prudent for him to move his seat of empire to Jerusalem because the city was destined to become the capital of the world. And do you know the people that are running our world want the same exact thing? Jerusalem is what their eyes are on. The capital of the world. the New World Order. The Magi were well acquainted with the national aspirations of the Jews. As well as with all the people so they could act as advisors. Most Jews of the time admired the Magi. They weren't idolaters. And because of their former association with Daniel, their main occupation was in the interpretation of things divine. Dreams, visions, 
prophecies, astronomical signs, which is what you and I just went through with the massing of the planets, four of them. In fact, Tiridates of the order of the Magi was made king over Armenia by Nero. He even went to Rome with other Magi and gave gifts to the emperor. And when they came to Jerusalem, they came to worship the king. And isn't it interesting that the gifts brought by the Magi, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were the gifts mentioned in the Greek translation of Isaiah 66. That foreign kings would bring gifts to Israel's Messiah. The gifts were the customary gifts of subject nations. So this act actually signified something more than another royal birth. Their presence got Herod's attention, as well as all Jerusalem's attention. And so Herod called a special session of the Sanhedrin to evaluate what the Magi said. The main factor that brought them to Jerusalem was the bright star, which has been explained in 3, the cusp of 2 BC. The whole heavens seemed to burst with astronomical signs in the constellation of Leo, the lion, Judah, and Virgo, the virgin, associated with Jupiter, the king planet, and Regulus, the king star. Once the chronology of the period is adjusted properly, the astronomical data supplied by Matthew and confirmed by computer technology will show you what the real star of Bethlehem was. Because this is a partial glimpse from where I'm getting my research. Confirmation by computer technology going back in time and placing the stars in the heavens where they would have been in that year of three on the cusp of two BC. I'm Space. It's getting exciting on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto, as we get closer and closer to the actual birth of the Christ child. Sequence of events leading up to the visit of the Magi is next. Prepare for a journey to places you didn't know existed. This is A View From Space with Gary Bell, only on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. So here come the Magi, the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. you got A View From Space. Live on Christmas night. Here's the sequence of events leading up to the visit of the Magi. We've known for a long time that the Magi arrived in Jerusalem sometime after Christ was born. Not as he was coming out of the womb at the stable at all. He was circumcised, as Luke 
two will tell you, and presented in the temple some 40 days after his birth. Luke says, in Luke 2, 3, 9, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. This means that they did not go to Egypt after Jesus' birth. Then, for some reason, they decide to move to Bethlehem, where they set up house. When the Magi arrived, the parents of Jesus were then living in a house, not a stable. And Jesus was be, being called a pedion, meaning child, not a brephos, meaning infant. After the Magi presented their gifts, they returned home to Persia by a different route having been warned about Herod. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fled to Egypt in late December of 2 B.C. That's Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fleeing to Egypt in late December 2 B.C. Herod, in his paranoia, murdered the male children in and around Bethlehem two years old and younger. This killing of all male children two and under makes sense because of the astronomical phenomena of the previous two years. And, of course, all of these rumors that a new king was coming. About the real star of Bethlehem, some proposals include a comet, which is a bad omen, and cannot stand still, as this star was said to have done, correct? It stood still. A nova, a miracle star, doubt it. If Matthew is describing a miracle, then further astronomical consideration is useless. Forget about it. Matthew reports that the Magi saw the star rising in the east, and so it would naturally be called the morning star. Sun rises in the east. Christ said of himself, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. This shows that the celestial bodies were symbolically significant, and clearly this was what the ancient world was thinking. So with this in mind, let's go back to the morning of August 12th, 3 B.C., about an hour and 20 minutes before sunrise, as the back-timed Astronomy and the computer can take us to. Jupiter rises as a morning star in conjunction with Venus. And how would astrologers interpret that phenomenon? Jupiter, known as the father of the gods, had just left the vicinity of the sun and conjoined with, G, uh, with Venus. Now, 
This could have been an indication of a coming birth, no? Jupiter, often associated with the birth of kings, therefore called the king planet. To the Chaldeans, Venus was Ishtar, the goddess of fertility. To the Romans, Venus, the goddess of love. The conjunction of these two planets signifies that the birth of a new king was imminent, no? And this is a good sign. As the two planets were known by all astrologers as the greater and the lesser good fortunes of all planets. And notice that while this conjunction was happening, the sun, the supreme father, the moon, also a mother, and Mercury, the messenger, interpreter of the gods, were located in the constellation Leo the lion. Remember, the lion, the symbol of the tribe of Judah. And the constellation appears in the Hebrew zodiac. Association of Leo with Judah comes from the fact that Leo is Judah's natal sign. In the Bible, there's frequent allusions to this connection between Leo and the tribe of Judah. You'll notice the royal household of the Windsors have the lion. Just bringing you up to date on today's politics and Jerusalem. So after these planetary conjunctions, Jupiter then moves on to unite with Regulus, September 14th, 3 BC, on three occasions. The Romans call it Rex, which means king in Latin. In Arabia, the star was known as the kingly one. The Greeks called him the king star. Of all the stars in the heavens, Regulus was universally associated by ancient astrologers with the attributes of greatness and power. And it lay practically on the elliptic, the path that the sun takes in streaking across the sky. And it was thought that this position made it of special importance to the sun. This close relationship to the sun, the ruler of the heavens, made Regulus a royal star, the one most associated with the birth of kings. First conjunction, September 14th, 3 BC. And here was Jupiter, the king planet, which had just united with Venus, the mother, in August 3 BC, now joining itself with the king star Regulus the star of the Jewish Messiah in the zodiacal sign of Leo, constellation of Judah, while the Son, the Supreme Father, was then located in Virgo, the Virgin. These features clearly reflect biblical themes associated with the birth and the person of Christ, who was prophesied to be born of a virgin and a descendant of a king. King David. I mean, it's all there in the stars, isn't it? The second conjunction, our coming together, of Jupiter and Regulus, happened February 17th, 2 BC, as the computer clearly shows. As you back time the stars back to February 17th, 2 BC, which is possible. 
the moon came to be positioned at the exact time between Jupiter and Regulus. At about 5 a.m., looking at the western horizon, you could have seen the moon directly between Jupiter and Regulus, the king star. It would have been occulting or covering up the star Regulus with the lower one-fifth of the moon's diameter. And then on May 8th and 9th, 2 B.C., 82 days later, the same conjunction occurred again. This time, though the moon covered up Regulus by the top one-fifth of its diameter, the last conjunction would not have been seen in Palestine since the moon had already set some three hours earlier. Yet any astronomer, such as the Magi, could have known and seen what was happening. They were still traveling, still moving. Jupiter then moved on its westward journey, and on June 17th, 2 B.C., the big year in question, it had an extraordinary, rare reunion with Venus. When Venus extended herself as far east as possible to encounter Jupiter, an incredible conjunction results. Visible west of Babylon. Remember, this beautiful conjunction occurred in the constellation Leo, and at the exact same time as the full moon. So close were the two planets that they would have appeared to much look much like one gigantic marriage union with each other. Two stars shining as one. And most importantly, the Magi would have witnessed this union appearing on the western horizon precisely in the direction of Judea. Isaac Asimov, you know that name, himself referred to this celestial occurrence and asked the question, is the fact that the unusual star was seen in the direction of Judea enough to make them think of the Messiah? This heavenly scene could have well produced a, 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 an incredible excitement to look towards Jerusalem for the arrival of the Messianic King of the Jews. It could have been interpreted that these two planets which possibly introduced the prophesied king when they were both morning stars some ten months before on August 12, 3 B.C., were now consummating their introduction with an impressively rare evening star union. There's more on what happened over the skies of Palestine in the year 2 B.C. Next, on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm a spaceman with a new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto, live on Christmas night. Talking tonight about a heavenly scene over Palestine that could well have produced a general excitement to look towards Jerusalem for the arrival of the Messianic King of the Jews when the two planets Jupiter and Venus meet and are one in the sky 
one over top of the other, making a bright light, possibly introducing the prophesied king. When they were both morning stars some ten months before, they were now consummating their introduction with an impressively rare evening star union. What an incredible display in the sky. This last rendezvous would have made in the early evening sky west of Babylon and especially to the people looking at it in Palestine. There wouldn't have been anything like it. Nor would there be again for generations. But wait, there's even more. This was not all. August 27th, 2 B.C., the year in question. 72 days later, there occurred the extremely close conjunction of Jupiter with Mars, the planet of war, while Venus and Mercury homed in on them in an unusual massing of four planets. And what the astronomers call a massing of planets. Four in the very same general vicinity. All the primary planets except Saturn were clustering in the constellation Leo while the moon was just entering Leo. And the sun at that very time was entering the sign of Virgo. Saturn, remember, another name for Satan. The constellation Leo, representing the lion from the tribe of Judah. The stellar body that played the most prominent role in this extraordinary year of three on the cusp of 2 BC and which figured in almost every celestial event was Jupiter. Jupiter soon left this unusual union with the three other planets in August of 3 BC and proceeded in its movement west now, since the Magi came from the east, it could easily be that they simply followed the normal movement of a planet toward Jerusalem as it progressed westward each day. Because the Bible says the star went on before them, which means they let Jupiter lead them westward. When they got to Jerusalem, the Magi were told to look to Bethlehem for the newborn king. And this was when the star was said to come to a definite halt in the heavens. It stopped its motion of leading the Magi and stood over where the child was. In a word, the planet became stationary. How could this be? 
It's this very action which has caused many interpreters to characterize the whole episode in Matthew as either fictitious or a miracle. Whoever heard of a normal planet having the capability of stopping its movement over a small village in Palestine? In Matthew, it describes a celestial phenomenon in popular language that astronomer, astronomers are fully aware of and is explained like this. Jupiter becomes stationary at its times of retrogression in progression. I'll explain in a moment. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. What stopped that bright star over that little village of Bethlehem? Next, on a from Space. Prepare for a journey to places you didn't know existed. This is A View from Space with Gary Bell, only on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Through astronomy, the computer can take you back to the star's setting of any date that you wish. So I chose 2 B.C., And in around August, where there were some pretty incredible things in the sky in that year. And this star of Bethlehem that stops over a small village in Palestine. How could this be? Is it fiction? Or is it a miracle? I mean, whoever heard of a, a planet stopping its movement? Well, it's actually easily explained. Jupiter becomes what you would call stationary at its times of retrogression and progression. See, when we look at Jupiter, we see the planet normally moving eastward through fixed stars. This movement is called proper motion. The Earth is moving too, see? And in its orbit around the Sun, faster than Jupiter is going. So when, say, Earth reached point A, you would see Jupiter along the same line as the Earth's own orbital movement. When the Earth is traveling more or less in a direct line toward Jupiter, the planet will continue to show proper motion. But when Earth reaches position, say, B, it's no longer heading toward Jupiter. The faster velocity of the Earth, as it makes its turn to point B and beyond, causes the apparent motion of Jupiter to slow down. This actually will continue until Earth reaches another point we'll call C. At that point, the speed of the Earth in relation to Jupiter is exactly the same as Jupiter's. Now, 
that's when Jupiter appears to become fixed, stationary, within the background of the fixed stars. It's not moving any longer, or it doesn't seem to be. As the Earth progresses from point C to D, it has a greater relative speed than Jupiter, and this causes Jupiter retrogress, reverses its motion, and travels westward throughout the stars. At D position, the speed of the Earth and Jupiter are again the same, and Jupiter stops its reverse motion. When D is past that position, Jupiter returns to proper motion. Each of the stationary positions of Jupiter repeats itself in about 13 months. So in this natural occurrence that's caused the star to stop, halted it exactly over Bethlehem, as the Magi were watching. They watched and arrived at Bethlehem as Earth hit position C. That makes Jupiter look as though it has stopped. And amazingly, on December 25th, 2 BC, Jupiter comes to a stop, a standstill, in the middle of the constellation Virgo, the Virgin, precisely on December 25, 2 BC. Jupiter stopped in the abdomen region of Virgo, right where a woman carries a child in pregnancy. But how is it possible for Jupiter to be stationary over the village of Bethlehem at that time? It's not the slightest problem for it to do that. The Bible says the Magi saw the star come to a stop while they were in Jerusalem. And on December 25th, 2 BC, at the ordinary time of the Magi's pre-dawn observations, because they would be watching, Jupiter would have been in meridian position, a direct line, directly over Bethlehem at an elevation of 68 degrees above the southern horizon. That precise position would show the planet shining directly down on Bethlehem while it was stationary among the stars. What an incredible coincidence. This may be the major reason why people in the early church said that September 25 was a day associated with a magi presenting their gifts to the newborn Savior. Interestingly, while Jupiter was also in its standing still position over Bethlehem, the sun was also appeared to be standing still. See, December 25 was the time of the winter solstice. The word solstice in Latin actually means sun stands still. And a general observance required that on the 25th of December, the birth of the new sun should be celebrated when after the winter solstice, the days begin to lengthen 
and the invincible star triumphs again over darkness. Once again, a, another pagan belief. The birth of the sun. One thing's for certain, though, the astronomical phenomenon of the year, 3 on the cusp of 2 B.C., did, in fact, occur. Those living at the time were no doubt tingling with excitement and wonder about what was to happen. Jesus was not born on December 25th when the Magi presented their gifts. When the Magi arrived, Joseph and Mary were no longer in the stable, but in a house. It's the Spaceman on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Jesus had been circumcised and dedicated at the temple some 40, year, uh, 40 days after his birth. Soon after the Magi left, Herod kills the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years of age or younger. And the fact that all the children under the age of two were killed shows that Herod was taking every possible interpretation into account at the time of Christ's birth, since it was not clear in astrological interpretation whether the appearance of his star actually signified the conception or birth of the baby. Evidence in history shows that Jesus was some months old when the Magi arrived. Up next, some chronological information relative to the birth of John the Baptist. That's coming up on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. On space, this is a view from space. Man on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto, getting to the bottom of the real birth of Christ. Not December 25th, that's the birth of the Son. That is the pagan belief. Because the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, then the days become longer, meaning the Son is returning as far away as possible from the earth December 21st, 22nd and then it begins to get closer a few minutes a day as the days begin to get longer once again this was marked by places like Stonehenge the ancient rock computer telling them when to plant, when to harvest. Here's some chronological information about John the Baptist and his birth. We know that John was six months older than Jesus. We know that John began his ministry sometime in the 15th year of Caesar Tiberius, which we've nailed down to August 19th as the start, 28 A.D., to 18th of August, 2980. 
we know that at the time Jesus began his ministry, he was about 30 years old. We know that John the Baptist was conceived during that time frame when his father was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division at the temple. John's father, Zacharias, left for home and sometime near May 26th to June 1st, Elizabeth conceived John. And since the human gestation period is about 280 days, nine months and ten days, this will place the birth of John near March 10th in 3 BC. This would place Christ's birth in the first half of September 3 BC. The reason for rejecting the late autumn session for Zacharias' duty in the temple, John would have been near born in around mid-September and Jesus in March. And it's an extremely unlikelihood that Jesus' parents would be traveling to Bethlehem during the rainy season. Also, we have the witness of Luke that John began his preaching and baptizing of people in the open air when Jesus was about 30. If John was baptizing in August or September, this makes sense. But if six months later, in February or March, then it would have been a very cold day for baptisms. A late summer or early autumn date's also been suggested because Luke said the shepherds were tending their flocks at night in the open when Jesus was born. And so a lot of people think this puts, uh, throws it out, a wintertime birthday. But this evidence is inconclusive as some winters were a bit milder than others. And in Mild winters, sheep are often out of doors. And Palestine all night. So if John began his ministry in spring, summer of 29 AD, it could have been August of 28 AD, then Christ would have reached his 31st year in September of that year. Being born in September, 3 BC. The key is symbolically hidden in Revelations 12, 1-5. through 5. It says, A great sign, astrological, appeared in heaven. A woman, constellation Virgo the Virgin, which is the only sign of a woman, which exists along with the ecliptic, clothed with the sun, the Supreme Father's mid-bodied in Virgo. And the moon, also a symbol for a woman. Under her feet and on her head, a crown of twelve stars. In Norton's star atlas, there are twelve visible stars around Virgo's head. Pi, number one. Nu, number two. Beta, number three, near the ecliptic. Sigma, four. Chi, five. 
Iota, six. And these six stars from the southern hemisphere around the head of the Virgo. Then there are Theta, number seven, star 68, Delta, the ninth, star 93, the tenth, Beta, the eleventh, the second magnitude star, and twelfth, Omicron. These last six form the northern hemisphere around the head of the Virgo. All these stars are visible that they could see, be seen by people on the earth. And she was with child, Virgin Mary, pregnant with Jesus. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign, astrological, appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. This is represented by one of the deacons of Leo, whose length stretches a third of the way around the whole zodiacal sphere, completely expelled from the places into which he had intruded. Fleeing now for his life, and the great lion with claws and jaws extended, bounding in terrific fury and seizing the foul monster's neck. That was taken from Sice, the Gospel of the Stars. Page 135. Back to the Bible. Having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, fall of angels, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth in person of Herod the Great, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her. And she gave birth to a son, Christ, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God, ascended and to his throne. That is what Revelation 12, 1-5 says, describing exactly what I have been talking to you about. The astronomical synchronism of this sign in the year of Christ's birth in 3 B.C. Virgo occupies in body form a space of about 50 degrees along the ecliptic. The head of the woman actually bridges some 10 degrees into the previous sign of Leo, and her feet overlap about 10 degrees into the following sign of Libra, the scales. In the year of Christ's birth, the sun entered the head position of the woman at about August 13th and exited her feet about October 2nd. But the Apostle John saw the scene when the sun clothed the woman to be mid-bodied, and this happens to be between about 150 and 170 degrees along the ecliptic, which occurs over about a 20-day period each year, which in 3 B.C. was from August 27th and the 15th of September. The new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. A view from space continues in a moment. He's the man they call space, and there's a really good reason. Get ready to find out things you never knew and be amazed by what you should know. It's a view from space 
on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. From the guy to call Space on Live, Christmas night, on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Digging down deep. Trying to pin down the exact date of Christ's birth. As it was written in Revelations 12, 1 through 5, where it says, and I'll read you the key, because that key is symbolically hidden in these verses. A great sign, which would mean an astrological sign, appeared in heaven. A woman, that would be the constellation Virgo, which is the only sign of a woman which exists along the ecliptic, clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, and on it goes. But the key is that piece that I have just read. The Apostle John, when he saw the scene when the sun clothed the woman to be mid-bodied, and this happens between about 150 to 170 degrees along the ecliptic, which occurs over about a 20-day period every year which in 3 B.C. was from August 27th to September 15th. This would have been happening. So if John, in the book of Revelation, were associating the birth of Christ with the period when the sun is mid-bodied to the woman, then Christ would have been born within this 20-day period. from the point of view of the Magi back in their homes in Iran, this would have been the only logical sign under which the Jewish Messiah would be born. Especially if he were to be born of a virgin. Even today, astrologers recognize the sign of Virgo is, is the one that has the reference to a messianic world ruler to be born of a virgin. The key to the very day of Jesus' birth are the words, the moon under her feet. Where exactly did that phenomenon take place? And what time? The word under signifies that the woman's feet were positioned just over the moon. Since the feet of Virgo represent the last seven degrees of the constellation, in the time of Christ, this would have been between about 180 and 187 degrees along the ecliptic, the moon has to be positioned somewhere under the seven-degree arc. But the moon also has to be in that exact location when the sun is in the middle, mid-body to Virgo. And in the year 3 B.C., 
these two celestial positions occurred for less than two hours as observed from Palestine. The date, September 11th. I told you, everyone knew the date. This precise arrangement, celestially, began about 6.15 p.m. Sunset. And lasted till 7.45. Moonset. This is the only day in the whole year that this could have taken place. September 11th. One day before, September 10th, the moon was located half mid-calf. not under her feet. While one day after September 11th, the moon was so far beyond the feet of the Virgin that it was positioned at least 25 diameters of the moon to the east of her feet. So only on one day could the moon be under the constellation Virgo's feet. And that day, September 11th, This, then, was the situation that prevailed in the heavens on the evening of the birth of Christ, when the angel announced Christ's birth to the shepherds out under the evening sky. Apparently, Jesus was born in the evening. Revelation 12 shows that there was a new moon day. Moon first appears as a thin crescent, right? In each of the twelve months, begin with a new moon. That's the lunar calendar that the Jews were going by. The birth of Christ and the day of trumpets. September 11th. 3 B.C. Check this out. It was Tishri 1 on the Jewish calendar. Tishri 1 is none other than the Jewish New Year's Day. Nisan 1 was the beginning of the Jewish ecclesiastical year. In 3 B.C. this fell on March 18th otherwise known as Rosh Hashanah, or as the Bible calls it, the Day of Trumpets. This is amazing. Almost too amazing. What a significant day for the appearance of the Messiah on earth. To Jewish people, this would have been one profound occasion. The start of a new year. There couldn't have been a better day on the calendar to introduce the Messiah to the world than the first day of the new year. Sundown, September 11th, 3 B.C., 6 P.M., was the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. Jesus was born very soon after 6 o'clock when the day changed from Elul 30th to 1 Tishri, the beginning of the brand new Jewish year. 
the Jewish New Year. Oh, it was also Noah's birthday, the very day he removed the cover from the ark. Check it out for yourself, Genesis 8.13. It was also the beginning of a new beginning for earth and a new fight for the Freemasons. The first day of restoration creation would be reckoned from that day. Since all the fruit was on the trees ready for Adam and Eve to eat, the Jews discussed whether creation took place in spring or autumn. This would signal another new beginning for the earth. One Tishri came to be looked on as the birthday of the world. The Jews regard their New Year's Day not merely as an anniversary of creation, but more importantly, as a renewal of it. This is when the world is reborn. See how all this fits? And all of the cover-up that has been going on by the church and by Freemasonry? Headed by the royals, the festival year of the Jews, made up of seven of twelve months, were all commenced by the blowing of trumpets. The last month, the seventh, was the last month, Tishri for a trumpet introduction for the festival year. The last trumpet in the series was always sounded on this day. So, it was also the final trumpet's day. The next new moon, the first of each month, on which the trumpet would be sounded, would be five months later. One Nissan, beginning of the festival year. Notice that the seventh and final trumpet blast in the tribulation breaks on the seven bold judgments just before the second advent. The day of trumpets was also recognized among the Jews as their memorial day. Not the kind that you know of. It was a time to celebrate when the dead returned to rejoin the descendants at the beginning of the year. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. you got the spaceman and a view from space confirming the birth of Christ September 11th. 3 B.C. I remember standing there and I said, I can't believe this. For 11th, 2001, the birth of Christ. Now you know why. September 11th was picked as the day to attack America, Christian America, for the old world to be passed away and a new world order put in its place. The two pillars that kept that Christian nation strong fell to the ground. And as 
we've got the hindsight. We can look back now on the second term of George W., who they say was put in by the family values people. Code word for Christian. So we have George W., the Marines who are failing miserably in Iraq, and the Christians, the family values people, all inextricably tied together, who will fall together. That's what's planned. All this starts on the real birth of Christ. September 11th, 2001. As his life began on earth, September 11th, 3 B.C. Also Noah's birthday, as I pointed out, when he took the cover off the ark. And the last trumpet in a series always sounds on the final day of the year. And September 11th, 3 B.C., was one Tishri. The month of Tishri, the first month, the first day. New Year's Day is what it was. Also a, a kind of memorial day for the Jews. A time to celebrate the dead returning to rejoin the descendants at the beginning of the year. In other words, it was the celebration of the doctrine of future resurrection. And such a day was a time when Israel would rally to the call of God for the inauguration of God's kingdom on earth. And since the Apostle Paul was Jewish, it was possible to connect his mention of the last trumpet associated with the rapture with this ancient festival also. All good news. None bad. And isn't that what December 25th should be about? Not a guy called Santa Claus. If you juggle the N in the word Santa, you come up with Satan. Not everyone running out and buying and buying and buying and consuming and consuming and consuming and being nice to people once a year. And then going back to being your miserable, judgmental self, December 26th. I'll take a call, Ross. Sure. You're on the New Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. It's space. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good, thank you. I find your show fascinating. I am very thrilled with your show. Uh-huh. I find it fascinating. I've always believed that uh, Jesus Christ was never born on December 25th. I was always believing that he was born in the fall, only based on the fact as they watched their flock by night. 
Mm -hmm. That's all I was basing it on. Mm -hmm. Well, I have taken you back tonight in uh, this yeah. broadcast, taken you back via computer. That's where my information came from. Uh, remapping the stars of that yeah. year of uh, 3 BC to 2 BC. Yeah, and I, I agree with you 100%. It's just funny that if you have someone that uh, thinks as you do, like I don't know how you are. I know you're not religious. I know you're spiritual. And there's a difference between religion and spirituality. Well, it isn't a religion that tried to kill Christ. Exactly. And all the religious that is now is a bunch of uh, churches, uh, Anglican, Presbyterian, non-denominational, denominational. All struggling to be one with everyone else. And the Holy Church of this and this, the worldwide church and yep. this church mm -hmm. and that church. That's right. But uh, it's the relationship with Christ that's important, nothing else. And it says, when the Pharisees tried to trip him up, as I say to you, love your brother, but not on just Christmas, right through the year. Right? Thanks for the call, Ross. You're welcome. Very nice call. It's the Spaceman on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. Some people, well, like I say, there's four types of people who listen to A View from Space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. The people that believe every single thing that I say is true. And then there are the people who believe a little bit of what I say is true. And then there are the people that don't believe anything that I say is true. And then there's the fourth those people who have no idea if I'm telling the truth or wrong but find it fascinating listening which one are you? 416-870-6400 star 640 on your cell if you don't like your voice to be heard space at 640toronto.com or Spaceman at 640toronto.com. John, you're on with space. Go ahead. Spaceman, how are you? Good, thank you. Excellent. Just want to let you know I'm a, an opposite listener of you. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, are you a number one, a number two, a number three, or a number four? Hey, you're number one. I had no, 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 uh, no. The, the number one person believes everything I say. The number two people person believes uh, some of the stuff that I say, the number three person believes nothing that I say, and the fourth person takes it all as entertainment and has no idea if it's right or wrong. Well, let's put it this way. I'd, I'd go with number one. A lot of people are number two, but uh, you're a brave man going out there to number one. Absolutely you, brave. I commend you, you for it, sir. Well, thank you. I'll tell you why. It's because um, I've been doing a lot of conspiracy theory of uh, going through documentaries, reading up on uh, web, uh, not only yourself, there's many websites I've gone through it and I've uh, realized oh, that hey, I... hey, the CBC is doing conspiracies. Turn exactly. them on. After tomorrow, you're going to hear conspiracies about the Ukrainian election. I won't touch that with a 10-foot pole. I'll Ooh. let them have that one, because that one is a cover-up for the real mess that they made of the elections this year, and that was the American election. Wow, no wonder, no wonder the Americans have actually come out uh, strictly after the first round and said... Well, we should actually let the Ukrainians do what they have to do and not let anyone interfere with what they do as far as 
of doing a repolling of their uh, election. Yeah, but I think they went out of their way to make sure that everybody noticed that it was fixed. Even exactly. even, even the pictures were just so incredible of uh, of Yushchenko. That's right. Just uh, absolutely. I mean, it's just typical of uh, CBC and CTV and the rest of those guys to pick up and run with that one. I wouldn't touch it. Oh, yeah, don't even touch it with a 10-foot No, phone. no, no. Another thing I want to ask you, I just, in fact, I'm just coming back from a family's... Uh, Christmas you know, celebration, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We were watching 9-11, the viewing, or is a viewing of 9-11. Have you seen that documentary? Yes, sir, yes. What, do you, what can you make of that one? In fact, that was an, uh, an eye-opener after Michael Moore's video. See, Michael Moore's video was, if you look at it very uh, clear for carefully, it was more so uh, anti-Semitic in a, in a way where... The, they were showing a little anti-Zim uh, between, between the, the, uh, the Middle East and the Americans a little bit. But this one was clearly showing the facts. Yes. What can you make of that? And, and tell me what part of it is uh, that you think that would be actually... Do you think is that uh, the video they made, is it believable or...? Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. Mm -hmm. oh, absolutely it is. The, the word is getting out. You cannot keep this... You cannot keep the truth... Uh, shut out for long. It somehow always rises to the top. It somehow always gets the, sees the light of day. And, and, and I gotta tell you now, Michael Moore is not on the side of the spaceman. Michael Moore is a guy who is on the side of the Illuminati. Because he will not go anywhere but to George W. and lay the burden on his desk. And guess what? George W. didn't make anybody's decision any time. He is a puppet of his dad, who is a puppet of the Illuminati, who make all the calls. That's done from Europe. Thanks for your calls. Spaceman on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Back with more on a view from space in just a couple of minutes. For enemies dare to strike us, they and all who have aided them, will face fearful consequences. Everyone, you want to talk to space, don't you? Give them a call at 416-870-6400 or star 640 on your cell. It's a view from space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Got to call space. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I haven't gone through all of the information and the modern use of the computer, taking the actual dates, punching it into a computer with astronomical software you can find out the exact alignments of the stars and the planets at any date you want. And September 11th describes Revelation exactly with the moon at the feet of the Virgin. And that could only happen on one day. For two hours only, that moon was in that position with the sun at midriff, right where a pregnant woman would be carrying a child. 
with the moon at her feet. And twelve stars above her head. <laughs> it could only be one day. New Year's Day. Jewish style. Tishri 1. September 11th, 3 B.C. Go ahead, Victor, you're on with the Spaceman. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Hey, Spaceman, how you doing? First-time caller, uh, mm -hmm. first-time listener, actually. Mm -hmm. But uh, interesting topic. Uh, I'm a number four. Okay. Uh, my question to you uh, is... Number four, by the way, is uh, someone who has no idea if I'm right or wrong, but uh, finds the radio fascinating. Go ahead. Absolutely. That's uh, my position. Um, my question, however, is I'm kind of curious to know why we have adapted the December 25th. Well, it's because it's the birth of the sun, Victor, and they're covering it up because the people that are running our world right now are sun worshippers. Haven't you noticed all of the Egyptian uh, uh, mystery religion in, 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 uh, in our companies, in our television commercials, in our shows, in our cartoons that they're showing our children? In, haven't you seen it in uh, the last movie you saw? Interesting enough, that was the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> okay, well, there it was. There is the Masonic Christ. But, um, Not no. the real one. Now, your opinion of this is, is because around this time of year, it's kind of a drab time. But, I mean, that, that really is a drab time in, in our part of the world, right? In other parts of the world, it, it's, it's sunny and nice. And there's what, no the 25th of December? The yes, 25th right. of December? Right. I'm thinking, well, perhaps they picked the 25th of December because it's a small time of the year. For sales, whatever. No, 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 no. So people are, people are, no, no, no. Okay. No. People, people okay. are a little bit more, uh, more involved than with just commerce. I mean, commerce and, and the Crusades did have some compatibility. I mean, it did open up trade routes. But what they really want, because they already really have all the money, don't they? We've just got a little bit to play with. But the elite rich have all the money and all the power. Now they want everyone's soul. And to do that, they're taking our religious holidays and superimposing them over top of the ancient pagan holiday. The ancient pagan holiday in this case is Saturnalia. Festival of Saturnalia that was a huge three-day event in all of Rome when Rome ruled the world. I mean, masters became the, became the slaves of their slaves. Criminals were excused from their crimes on these three days. And people gave gifts. In other words, everything was reversed. It was a mirror because that's exactly how Satan sees our world. It's all mirror. Backmasking in songs. You've heard of that? It's mirroring again. It's mirroring. And that's what's going on in our world today. And the so so it is in the spirit world, so it is below. Go ahead. I, I still don't understand why the 20... Well, okay, well the 21st, the, the 22nd, the 21st and the 22nd are... The winter solstice they talk about, right? Where the sun goes away from the earth as far as, as it's going to go and then becomes to get closer. And remember, when it gets closer to us, it warms us again 
and gives us our crops, right? right? And our planting season again, which was what Stonehenge was all about. Lining up the sun, shining through the little cracks, telling them exactly what seasons there were. When to plant, when to harvest. And when to sacrifice human blood for that sun to return. That's what Akhenaten was all about. The very first pharaoh who ever said, man is God. Actually, the sun, Ray, is God, and you will talk to him through me. And, by the way, for Ray to come up the next day, 25 people got to die just before sunset to guarantee the sun will return. So you can imagine the power and fear that kind of terrorism had over the ancient Egyptians in those days. Huh? Because, you see, if you want to control a population, you must control them with fear. Well, of course. Okay. Well, that's what, that's what they were doing in the ancient days. And with the sun, they had this unique way of getting rid of some people to keep the others in line. It was called human sacrifice for the sun to return the next day. And they have eight sabbats, eight witches sabbats which are all connected with the sun. The sun worshippers. All of their numbers are always in their events. They will not do a, a one of their events without those numbers being in it. Because if the numbers, if the correct numbers are not in it, that means there is very little possibility of success to their spell that they cast. Now, now how long do you figure has... December 25th been the so-called official day of, of Christmas. Since, uh, I believe, uh, let me see, I have it right here. Um, da -da -da. Two. Mm, let's see. Since about 273 A.D. Hmm. Because the just, first just, couple just of centuries before he converted to Christianity in Rome. Right, no. Because first, the first couple of centuries of Christianity, it wasn't on the calendar at all. Interesting. Yes, it is very interesting. Hey, by the way, do you know who the guy is that gave us our modern day Santa Claus? His name is Thomas Nast. And he was. He actually is the guy who drew the red hat, the white beard, right? Right? All, all in the guy in the red suit? And, 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 and Thomas Nast is, is a, a Bavarian from the Bavarian Illuminati family member. And guess what he owns today? What does he own today? Condé Nast. You know who Condé Nast is, that company? Oh, no. You're kidding me. No, I don't. Have you ever picked up a magazine uh, called Vogue? Yes. Architectural Digest. Yes. Glamour. Modern Bride, Self, GQ, Vanity Fair, Gourmet, Bon Appetit, Traveler, Allure, House and Garden, Wired, Lucky, The New Yorker. They're right, all right. owned by Condé Nast. Uh, so this is where the marketing came in. That's not only where the marketing came in, but where the hoodwinking came in. Santa Claus. So what's, what's the reference to St. Nicholas then? St. Nicholas is Old Nick. The ancient Celtics used to call the devil Old Nick. Okay, well, now the old Nick. Now, old Nick happens to be jolly old Saint Nick. 
Right. Getting you rather chummy with Satan. So he... Oh, okay. Yeah. So, in truth, he was a good man, but we changed it around. Or Who was a good man? The Saint Nick. No, Saint, Saint Nick, Nick was always the devil. They called him Old Nick. You're getting this guy confused with this uh, fellow... Um, the gay presence and et cetera, et cetera. Saint Nicholas. Correct. Right. So Saint Nicholas. The, the, uh, the, but that's not the Saint Nick that we're talking about. When they called Old Nick, Old Nick, the Brits meant Satan. When you mentioned Saint Nicholas, then Chris Kringle, the German Chris Kringle, right? Right. And the uh, and and the Nordic uh, uh, Klaus comes into uh, in, into play. Then it gets more Americanized and even more demonized by Mr. Thomas Nast by giving us and he actually drew the Santa Claus for guess who? Coca Cola. Interesting. Isn't uh, that's it? where the red and white colors came in. Absolutely, sir. Not only that, but remember now the Rothschilds are running the banking system of the world, and they are the Red Shield. And there's this long, red, thin, red line, there's a movie again, that runs throughout history. They have control of the money. So, so this Santa Claus fellow isn't that old, then? This Santa Claus fellow is as old as uh, Condé Nast. No, uh, Thomas Nast. Well, Condé Nast came, comes later. Interesting. So these, these stories that you, that you see, you know, children's fables and whatnot from way back in the 16th, 17th century, and Santa Claus did exist at that time, those are all made up? They're all myths. And, and was Saint that Nicholas, created by Saint the Nicholas, guy in order Saint to Nicholas was the saint, patron or? saint of sailors who was very generous. And they, they've, taken, they've taken that from Saint Nicholas and given that to Santa Claus. You see, Santa Claus is the guy... Oh, I've got a couple of minutes here. Yeah. Uh, Santa Claus is the guy we tell our children at a very, very, very young age that he's God. That he's God? Well, sure. I mean, well, I he, guess in a way we do, yeah. He's well, no, no, we do. No, we do. We don't say he's God, but he is right. as a God. In a like he flies yeah. around where he wants. He services sure. every house uh, between, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the night hours, the, the dark hours. And then he's all done for another year. He doesn't do it again. And he's a very jolly guy. And he can read your mind because he knows exactly what you want. Right. Right? And uh, you got to leave him food. Right? And right. then And then when the kid's seven, six, five, maybe, I don't know when you did it, you bring the child aside and you go, you know what? There is no God. Or Santa, in this case. But isn't that exactly what it's setting the young man up for when he grows older and his faith has been hit? There is no Santa. Guess what? This God thing they're telling me about, it doesn't exist either. It's another freaking Santa Claus. Get it? Understand? I, I suppose Mind I do. control. No, this has been because what parent, what parent would tell a child a huge elaborate lie and then break it? What parent would love their kid that, that little to build this wonderful, huge, warm and fuzzy story up and then go tell them one day, hey, I was only kidding. 
It's just like the priest, man. Hey, they were only kidding. Yeah, it? It's the same exact concept. It's mind control. And that's why Santa Claus is injected into our Christmas. And, and when do we celebrate Christmas? The birth of the sun. When the sun begins to come back to Earth to warm us again and give us food. Must run. Gotta go. Time's late. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'll take a couple of more of your calls on the final segment here on a live broadcast Christmas night on a V from Space on 640 Toronto. I'm the guy they call Space. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. September 11th, 3 B.C., the birth of Christ. That's right, September 11th. Now you know why. September 11th happened. It's the destruction of the old world as we once knew it. Making way for a new world order. He was born on one Tishri. The start of the Jewish New Year. That's what September 11th was. It was the first Jewish New Year. It was also a kind of memorial day for the dead to return to rejoin their descendants at the beginning of the year. In other words, it was a celebration of the destruction, I'm sorry, the doctrine of future resurrections. It was also the day of trumpets. The last day of the trumpets that would rally the call of God for the inauguration of God's kingdom on earth. Doesn't that about tell you what September 11th is going to be about. So Mary and Jesus decided to move to Bethlehem. That was in the spring or the summer of 2 B.C. They set up house there. December 25th, 2 B.C., when the planet Jupiter came to its stationary point mid-Virgo and was in meridian over Bethlehem. The Magi arrived in Bethlehem bearing gifts meant for a king. Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt, having been forewarned in late December 2 B.C. Herod kills the male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. Joseph and Mary returned from Egypt after having been told that Herod was dead. Herod died January 1 B.C. took up residence in Nazareth, did Joseph and Mary and Christ. In the spring of 11 A.D., Jesus visits Jerusalem with his parents and observes Passover. Jesus begins his public ministry just after he reached the age of 31 in October or November of 29 A.D., satisfying the statement, Luke 3:23, and when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. 
It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Coast to Coast is next. This has been a view from Space on Space. I'm out. Do you forget the names of the people you met last